You, oh, there we go. Miss Clara, what was your friend's name again? I, Regina. I forgot to pray for her. I'm going to do that. Remind me of that. Can we read this together? Micah 6, 8, you all know. Micah 6, 6, you may not. And so I want us to read the full passage because it puts it in context today. Micah 6, verses 6 and 8. Shall we read together? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Father, we thank you for the word of God today. I pray for Regina, Lord, as I missed her um, in the midst of all the names. God, would you bring just continued healing and recovery of this thyroid issue? I know she wants to get at things, Lord, and so um, hear her prayer and let her be able to move quickly into the life that she wants to lead. And be with Clara, Lord, that she might be an encouragement to her along the way. Bless your word as we enter into it, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, please, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I was pastoring in Alpena, Michigan when I received the news that the father of one of my worship team members, uh, their father was killed. He was driving a tractor down the road with a load of hay and he went to turn left. Unfortunately, a car was speeding and passing him at the same time. So it hit the tractor, basically killed him instantly. Uh, Clint came in to see me about a week later, and he asked me a very heartfelt question. He said, Pastor Dan, is it, is it okay for me to take my tithe, my offering, and give it to my mother for a few months? You see, my mom and dad didn't have much, and right now we don't have much to spare, and she could really use the help. My question to you is, how would you have answered that? It's not as simple as you think, by the way. Never is, is it? I struggled with that answer, actually. The, the Bible says the tithe belongs to the Lord. It's His. It's not for me to give to another person. We're called to give the first fruits of our labor and to give Him a thanksgiving offering when God blesses. So if your mother needs help, sacrifice something else for her benefit. Get Get your other siblings to help or neighbors. You need to give what is God's, God's. It's rightly His, and He will provide for all your needs. Now, everything I just said was true. And for some people, it would have been the correct advice. But it's not the heart of God, and it wasn't my counsel. And you're all going, wow, that, that was harsh. You know, when, when Jesus was teaching about the Sabbath, he told the story about David when King Saul 
had finally had enough and was trying to kill him. David was on the run, and the first place he stopped at was the tabernacle, the house of God. And he went to the high priest, and he said, basically he lied a little bit there, and he said, I'm on an errand. He says, do you have any bread for me? Well, he knew full well that there were 12 loaves of bread baked fresh every day in the tabernacle. And David went to the high priest and said, could I have that bread? And the high priest didn't stand and give him a theology lesson about the tithe belongs to the Lord and this bread belongs to the Lord and to the priest. The priest had the heart of God and he gave him the bread. Jesus was trying to teach that lesson that the Sabbath was made for the man, not man for church the Sabbath. It's not that way. That's what legalism is about. Legalism is about rules that God has set forth and that man must must bow down to and humble himself to. It's all about the law. That's totally wrong. The law was made for man. It was to help man be more like God and to see God. And when you get those things reversed, that's where legalism comes in. That's where rules matter and people don't. That's a pretty bad place to be, isn't it, by the way? Especially if you're a church. We, we don't want that. It's people first. Yeah, we have to have rules. Just because God put people first doesn't mean we don't have rules. He gives us rules because people are first in God's sight. So when I talked with Clint and I gave him that admonition that, you know, I want you to honor your, your mother That's also a command, isn't it, church? Honor your mother and father. By the way, it's the first command with a what? Promise. Promise. Certainly I want you to honor your mother. And if you get, when you get back on your feet and you you can invest in kingdom work here at the church, well then by all means, we, we want you to do that. My intent was not to downplay the faithful act of giving in the church because we need you to be generous individuals. We need you to do that. Our staff here at St. Thomas cannot serve you without our, your financial gifts. We wouldn't be able to heat and cool the building. We wouldn't be able to run VBS like we do without your gifts or support missionaries or do any of the other things that we do that has eternal impact in the kingdom of God. We can't do that without your help. So giving is important. See, if no seed is planted, farming, you'll have no what? So you have to plant first. And that oftentimes has to do with the financial seed that you plant. And I'm going to make sure that you have clarity on that because I don't want to mislead you on that point. Biblically, there is no longer any law that demands that you tithe. We're not under the law anymore. We're under what, church? We're under grace. It doesn't mean we give less, actually, though. It means we should be giving what? We should be giving even more because we're under grace. It doesn't have the opposite effect. If we know and understand what Jesus Christ did, he came into this world, he became poor, Philippians tells us, for our sake, so that we might be made rich, rich in his grace, rich in his mercy, abundant in all things, not only in heavenly resources, but also in earthly riches. It doesn't mean we accept Jesus to have Cadillacs and nice homes and all those other things. If God chooses to bless you with that, praise Jesus, but sometimes he doesn't. I'm always mindful of this. 
with the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel churches, they always pick up the front half of Hebrews 11. They never pick up the back half. Anybody know that chapter very well? The back half of Hebrews 11 said, oh, and by the way, some people died, some people were tortured, some people lived in caves, some people were starved. Are they not followers of Christ as well? Certainly they are. It's whatever path or trajectory God has for you. That's where Paul says in Philippians, I have found myself to be content in all things, in fullness, but also in, yes, all those types of things. The New Testament, especially in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it teaches about giving, and giving has to do with understanding that all we have should be an offering to God, not just 10%. 10% is a good place to start. It's, it's a sort of a marker that we throw out as a church, but we should be exceedingly generous when it comes to the work of God. Do I personally practice giving tithing to the Lord as my first fruits? First fruits? Yes, Deb and I have practiced tithing since we were married. We believe in starting there, but we also practice the New Testament act of offering, which means we go way above the tithe. It's not because it's a legalist issue. It's because we realize how much the Lord has done for us. And by the way, uh, just as a word of testimony, Deb and I have never been without. We've had just enough. The cupboards were often pretty bare at times, and we didn't know where the money was going to come from, but God always provided always has. We were faithful to God. We gave him the first fruits of our labors, and God has always been faithful to us. And that's just a personal testimony of the goodness of God. God is not forcing me to give. It's an act of worship. And by the way, when someone says tithing is about the law, I will challenge that. Because tithing did not begin with Moses. Tithing began with Abraham. 400 years before the law, and Abraham was not arm-twisted to give it. He came out of an amazing battle where he got his nephew and his family and all their possessions, and all the kings were so favorable to him, they were giving him gifts, and he gave him, he ended up just giving a gift to Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem, and who I believe was the representative of God in that area. And Abraham didn't do it because he was forced to. Abraham did it because he wanted to worship God and say, thank you so much for giving me victory in the battle. And all God's people said, please, that's what that's about. By the way, the Jewish people paid around 23% of their income in religious taxes. On top of the exorbitant taxation of the current ruling nation, because every nation that took over Israel taxed them to death. Do you remember David Satola when he was here with us, our missionary, our new missionary to Italy? We were talking about some of these other types of issues. David told us in Italy, he pays 65% taxes. 65%. I got news for you. When April 15th comes around, I'm going to be thank- saying, thank you, Jesus. I don't live in Italy. So he has to live on 35%. That's amazing, isn't it? 
And so, you know, we need to be thankful people and be generous. The issue that was posed to me is like the one that Jesus addressed with the religious leaders of his day. It's this balance between human obligation and divine imitation. It's at the heart of our garden conversation. And I'm going to have you turn with me, please, to Matthew 23, 23 and 24. And then we're going to jump over to Luke 11 and 42. It's a parallel passage. It just says something a little differently, but I just want you to see it. Matthew 23, 23 to 24. I'll move through this stuff fairly quickly because of our time this morning. Matthew 23, 23, and 24. It says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. That's who he's addressing. He's addressing the legalists. They're after the law, the letter of the law. The law kills, the Spirit gives life. Do you remember that passage? So he's speaking to, to life killers. Woe to you, teachers of the law, And Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices. You literally sit down with your mint and your dill and your cumin and you go, one for me, two for me, three for me, nine for me, one for God. That even sounds wrong when I say it, doesn't it? Yeah. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. You've neglected justice and mercy and faithfulness, keep key sentence. You should have what? Practice the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat. That's how they would make their coffee. They would pour the water, and if there was a bug in there, they'd pull it out. But you swallow a camel. So you're looking at the minute stuff that doesn't matter, and you're missing the greater things that are after the heart of God. Luke 11 and 42, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint, your rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. We don't use the word woe anymore unless we're on a horse. But it's a very significant word. It's a word connected to divine judgment, actually, church. Another way that that word might be expressed is this, how terrible it will be for you or how disastrous it will be for you. In other words, this action that Jesus is decrying is going to have dire consequences for you. Sins of omission are just as wrong as sins of commission. Just because you do this, It doesn't mean that you're right with God, especially when you neglect this, which is far more uh, important and after the heart of God. Jesus was not condemning them, by the way, for meticulously tithing. This was the law. Leviticus 27 and 20, the tithe of everything from the land, whether grain, soil, or fruit trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. So he's not condemning them for following the law. He's condemning them for not understanding the law. We, I've used this example multiple times in multiple places here. If I uh, am starting down at 183 and... I'm, I'm late coming to church. And so I just put on the gas a little bit and get up around, I don't know, 140 mile an hour, flying past the nose gay up over the hill, 
screeching and fly down into the parking lots. And I say, well, I thought 45 was just a suggestion. As I said to the Burnville police officer who just pulled me over. If, however, I'm driving and I'm at 45 and I am at 45 mile an hour and I click that thing and I think 45 mile an hour is going to get me to heaven because I'm obeying the law. I'm obeying the law, but I'm not understanding why am I going 45 mile an hour? What is the reason for a 45 mile an hour speed limit in areas? People. I want people to be safe. So let's lower the speed limit down enough so that people can be reasonably safe with a lot of Pennsylvania hills. Can we do that? So the law is not about how I earn credit and get into heaven. The, the, the law is about understanding God and his love for people. And I should be grabbing that and understanding that myself when I look at the laws and the commandments that God has given to me. God doesn't need our mint and dill and cumin. He doesn't need our money. He's the creator. He owns it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the psalmist says. The giving of our first fruits is about worship. It's about a personal relationship with God. It declares our awareness that God was involved in giving us all the abundance before us. I don't know if you remember one of the offerings in Leviticus. It was the wave offering. It would come in the spring during the barley season. Uh, the priests would go out and cut the finest sort of sheath or stalk of barley and they would bring it for the priest and the priest would do what they call a wave offering. Anybody remember that? They would wave it before the Lord. If I can paraphrase, this is what the priest would say. Hey, God, thank you so much. Thank you. Look, look, look at the rain and what the sun and what the soil and what all the nutrients. Look what you did. Thank you so much for another year to provide for my family. Thank you, God. Would you imagine us doing that every Sunday morning when we gave our tithes and offerings? We wouldn't do it because we don't want to embarrass people. But uh, I think representationally we do that. I think we, we should say, God, thank you so very much for what you've done in my life. I just want to give you a portion of that back to say thank you. Oh, by the way, you let me keep all this other stuff, which is amazing, because you could take all of it if you want. What an amazing God I serve. Wow. Can I remind you of something we talked about at the beginning of our garden series? I, Paul, planted the seed, Apollos watered, but guess who makes it grow? God does. God is the one who makes it grow. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything. I, I'm not anything, but God, he's everything. He's the one that makes everything grow. So this was the great disconnect with the religious leaders of the day. It's, it's the same disconnect that religious people who are legalists today have. They don't understand the connection of the laws of God with his person and with his character. In Jesus' day, the tenth of the mint, every tenth of the rue or cumin or a tenth of the lambs or calves or oxen was to be a reminder of the great creator who gives us all these things and who allows us to keep so much more. So if God was generous to them and if God was so merciful and loving and just, 
when they didn't deserve it, then as representatives of God, they needed to be the same. It's not about the stuff. It's about the person. The person of God. As Micah reminds us, what shall I offer for my soul? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is what? Nothing. I can't give anything to God. I can't redeem myself. Only his intervention, his outstretched hand can save me. His just actions, his mercy, his loving kindness. Therefore, what does the Lord require of me? He requires me to do the same for others. To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God, and to give, to give generously for the the needs of people and to invest in the community of God. I want to give you four points here real quick as we close. God wants you to what? Yeah, he wants you to give. He desires it. He loves when that happens. And you all know this, by the way, as parents, when your kids are in their bedroom and they're very, very quiet, which makes you very nervous, but then they come out of the room because they made you a special gift. Now, mom and dad, tell me what kind of joy that brings to your heart. It's amazing what that does. They didn't have to do it. They did it because they loved you. And that's why we give as well. We give because we love God, all right? Second, God wants you to give generously as an act of worship. Your worship is reflected in how you give, not just financially, but your time and your talents, your treasures, all of those types of things. Next, God wants you to give tangibly through your finances, but also through justice and acts of kindness and acts of mercy and acts of love. He wants us to represent him in our world. And the last thing that I want to remind you of is actually what God reminded the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which is a little bit of a warning how disastrous it would be for our witness as a follower of Jesus Christ if we don't do both of these things. If If we're not good givers or if we are not people who fight for the, for the unjust, for, for those who are, are the poor and the downtrodden, if we don't do those things, legalism does not promote the person of Christ. It promotes rules and religion, which is what people push away from. That's not what church is supposed to be. Church is supposed to be a place where we imitate God, who is incredibly generous, who loves people, who who acts justly and mercifully and, and wants to do good things for his people, that's what this environment should look like. We should be generous. We should be loving and kind and gracious because that's what imitation of God is. That's what we do. So as you go into God's garden, let's be reminded of those wonderful things and the warning at the end, by the way. Let's do that in the name of Christ. Shall we pray together as we close? Father, thank you for your goodness, for a good morning. We pray Father, as we celebrate this Lord's Day, to be reminded of all the good things that God has given to us. This is the day we celebrate the resurrection, which means we celebrate our own future resurrection. Out of these broken old bodies that get tossed around with ailments and injuries into a place that's whole and healthy and wonderful and beautiful, where relationships are not broken but all whole. Boy, I can't imagine a place like that, Lord, but I look forward to it. Bless your people today. May they live in God's garden in such a way that they manifest the fruit of the Spirit um, and the wonderful blessings that God brings out into our life as followers of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, please.
Amen. If you need prayer this morning, come on up. I'm going to ask uh, my prayer partner, Kathy, and any elders.